You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Back everyone to Locked Time Rockets, the only home for daily and post-game podcast commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. As we chat on this Thursday, the Rockets are currently back at practice at Toyota Center trying to make adjustments before Friday night's Game 3 at Utah. They'll hop on a plane to Salt Lake City this afternoon, get there in plenty of time to hopefully get a good night's rest and be ready to go in Game 3 Friday night with a level of focus that was not there in Game 2, the 116-108 to loss. Now, if you want more analysis of what happened in that game particularly, tune into our archives. Last night's post-game show has a lot about Game 2, specifically what went wrong in that game. For today's show on Thursday, we're going to take a little bit more of a macro view. As far as the immediate post-game recap show, it tends to be, especially if you lose, in my opinion, it's easy to go micro, which I did. What happened in this individual game? What were the inflection points? So today, with it being an off day for the teams, well, not an, a complete off day, they are practicing, but with it being not a game day, I thought it was a good point to take a step back, bigger picture, what is going wrong with the Rockets in these losses. Now, certainly not catastrophic. They're 5-2 and two through seven postseason games, and against two teams in Minnesota and Utah, they're very quality opponents, playoff teams in a very tough Western Conference. Utah, data showed being the best team in the league the final two, two and a half months of the season. So it's not like a five and two is bad, but nonetheless, there are some concerning trend lines, especially when you consider that in two of the losses, the one in game three in Minnesota, they lost by 16, and last night they were down by as much as 19 and had such a huge mountain to overcome which had a trickle-down effect, in my opinion, to all the missed shots in the fourth quarter, the open threes that did not go down. In my opinion, that had a lot to do with the energy the Rockets had to expend just to make this a one-point game going to the fourth quarter in the first place. So I want to make clear off the top, the Rockets have done a lot of things right this postseason. If you go through our archives here at Lockdown Rockets, you'll have plenty of analysis on that. And ultimately, as I record this on Thursday, I still fully expect the Rockets will win this series, and I think they have a good shot, even against the Warriors next round. I'm not jumping off a bridge over one loss. Nonetheless, there are some concerning trends, because in my opinion, some of the things we saw in Game 3 at Minnesota, and some of the other close calls they've had this postseason, I think you saw them again in Game 2 at uh, well at home against Utah last night. And so ultimately, Mike D'Antoni practice today, Jeff Bezdelic, their staff, it's up to them to fix it very quickly because while the Rockets are not in a terrible spot now, if they lose one game in Utah, especially if it's game three, they are in a very delicate spot, especially considering that the Golden State Warriors are currently up two games to none on New Orleans and appear poised for a short series on their end. And ultimately, the Warriors are good enough already without getting a lot more rest than the Rockets. And that's, of course, assuming the Rockets are able to beat Utah four times in the first place. So for today, again, I'm focusing on the negative because they lost yesterday. It's not that that's the only thing going on. There are some positives, but if you're a regular listener here at Lockdown Rockets, we discuss those a lot. Coming off a loss, I think it's more important to look at what is going wrong and how you fix it. And part of it is X's and O's. Part of it is personnel. And, of course, those do overlap. But to start with, I'm going to lead with the X's and O's because, to me, 
there are two problems, one on each end, that have consistently given the Rockets problems in this series against the Jazz. And I do say series because game one, even though they won comfortably, it was all because they were plus 25 in the first half. They were outscored by double digits in the second half as well. Now, I know it was a little um, lethargic because they had a 25-point lead, and there's not a ton you can take out of it, but the reality is that the Jazz have been the better team for really ever since halftime of Game 1. So there are some things that are not going well. In my opinion, the far and away biggest issue defensively is stopping dribble penetration, and the biggest issue offensively is not getting enough three-point attempts. There's a great stat that was tweeted out by David Locke, the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Uh, his website is LockedOnJazz.net. He does some post-game analysis that's really, really sharp. And one of the things he pointed out after last night's game in regards to the offense, the Rockets last night, they had 95 field goal attempts overall. Only 37 of those were from three. That's below 40%. And while that might seem still like a high number, and it is relative to most NBA teams, when it's compared to the Rockets and how they want to play, the Rockets want close to 50% of their shots to be from behind the arc. That's what makes them so lethal. That's what makes them such a math problem to go back to the Minnesota series and so many other matchups around the league. The Rockets have not had that in this series. And the same could be said in game one. The Rockets had just 32 of their 82 field goals from behind the arc. It didn't matter in game one because they just made so many of them, 17 out of 32, that ultimately they were able to overcome the lack of attempts. But nonetheless, the Jazz succeeded defensively in taking Houston out of what it wanted to do. It just so happened that James Harden and Chris Paul made some really tough contested shots. Between the two of them, they were 10 of 18, and occasionally the superstars that they are, they're going to be able to do that. Game two, Harden and Paul were still good. They combined for 55 points, 14 assists, but the 10 of 18 they were from three regressed to four of 15, and ultimately that was enough, especially when combined with the Jazz going 15 of 32, 47% on their end, Joe Ingles having a career night, 27 points, 7 of 9 from three, that the Jazz were able to get the win. But it's a little concerning because prior to these two games, the Rockets had only been held below 40% in terms of their three-point attempts relative to overall attempts in four of their prior 87 games. Four out of 87. That is staggeringly low. The amount of times the Rockets shoot that low of a proportion of their overall shots from three. So it's not so much about the percentages, and certainly you can point to the Rockets being 27% from behind the arc last night. The bigger story is that they are not getting the three-point looks in the first place. So the Jazz succeeding not just in game two, but game one as well. It's a trend, and I think a lot of it has to do with the presence of Rudy Gobert. Now, yes, they're well-coached, they have good perimeter defenders, but I think the bigger factor is that because they have that eraser near the basket, the ball movement for the Rockets is not nearly as crisp because the Jazz don't have to commit as many resources to, uh, to limit that. It's not like you have to send help to stop James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon on the drives because you have Gobert back there. Now, in a perfect world, I think you could space them out the way we saw them do in the regular season with guys like Ryan Anderson, Luke Bamute at the five, but ultimately those two guys are going through their own individual issues, and we'll talk about that in a little bit when it comes to the personnel issues for the Rockets, because I don't think either Ryan Anderson or Luke Bamute is 100% when it comes to both physically and mentally being able to play at peak performance. We'll touch on that in a few moments. 
But in general, that might be the better, the easiest way to get more threes. But part of the issue you run into is that if you fix that problem, you also run into issues. You may inadvertently make the other problem worse, which is stopping dribble penetration. We saw that in round one when the Timberwolves, especially in game three, had so much success. Jeff Teague, Derek Rose, breaking guys down off the dribble. And we've talked ad nauseum about the reasons why. Chris Paul is 32 years old and doesn't really have a meniscus. Trevor Reza and P.J. Tucker, they're long, they're physical, but they're more power guys. Asking them to keep up laterally with court perimeter players for 48 minutes, it's an awful lot to ask. Luke Bamute is coming off the second dislocated shoulder injury of the year. And he's your best player, and he's kind of limited right now because it doesn't seem like offensively he wants to take any contact at all when he goes to the rim, which hurts how viable he is because even though he helps you defensively, then he makes the other problem worse, which is your offense and your ability to generate the threes. So that's kind of how, in my opinion, and it makes it tougher to fix, is that the two problems are interrelated. You can fix one problem by going a certain way with your rotation, but then you might make the other worse. And ultimately, that's what's been the issue. The Rockets, you know, Luke is by far their best perimeter defender, so if you need to stop triple penetration, you can play him more. But does he make the situations offensively worse in terms of his inability to score or space the floor at the level you need to get more threes? So to me, it's not that the Rockets need to desperately fix both. They're a good enough team that if they can even fix one, that may be enough against the Jazz. But ultimately, those are the two areas that they are trying to fix, in my opinion. And some of that, of course, the Jazz are a very good team, so they deserve some credit. They made adjustments to put the Rockets in compromised situations. Don't want to pretend like I'm not acknowledging Quinn Snyder's greatness and all the things that he did. And certainly the Rockets, they can be smarter in some areas. It may not be just a matter of trying harder or having certain matchups. Now, some of it is effort. When it comes to dribble penetration, late in the game, Guys like Dante Exum, Alec Burks, they did have success early on in the first 18 minutes of the game. I just didn't think the Rockets came ready to play. They do need to try harder. That's factor two. Also, the Rockets, they can be smarter about who they help off of. What ends up happening when they can't stop dribble penetration, it leads to so many open threes. That's a big part of how the Jazz made 15 of 32. Well, for example, I don't know why you continue to help off of Joe Ingles, who was 7 of 9. Now, granted, outside of Joe Ingles, they were still pretty good from three, but by the end of that game... I would rather make anyone else beat me so the Rockets can be smarter and, you know, game two situation where you need to just say, look, leave someone in Ingles. They're, he is too good. He is too hot. Make somebody else beat us. So, yes, the Rockets can collectively be smarter. That can help. They can start games with more vigor, with more intensity. That's a big part of it, too. But some of it is X's and O's, and they're going to have to adjust. The tricky part is how you fix one problem without making the other worse. Now, in fairness, the Rockets did have some progress on those fronts during the game. For example, one thing I should have mentioned when we were discussing threes was that in the fourth quarter, the Rockets did get a better quantity and quality of threes. They had 12 in the fourth quarter, and most were wide open. So if you're getting 48 threes for the game, and most are wide open like the Rockets were in the fourth quarter of game two, you're going to be just fine. Yes, I know they only made three of the 12 in game two, which is too low of a percentage, but that's a combination of small sample size, fluky, and I think they were certainly some tired legs after all the energy they had to expend overcoming that early deficit. By and large, if they get that amount of quality looks from three, that's what you're looking for. That's closer to 50%, that mark that they want to get to, and that's going to bode well for them. 
The trade-off, though, is that they did give up something defensively to make that happen. The Rockets went into the fourth quarter last night within one. Well, while the offense underachieved, so did the defense. The Jazz scored 30 points, and it could have been more than that. The final five minutes, the Jazz were basically just trying to bleed clock, use close to 24 seconds every time, rather than truly pushing the pedal to the metal. And a big part of that, the way the Rockets got those threes, they put in that super small lineup, Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, maximum playmaking, maximum shooting. But of course, you give up a lot on the defensive end when you do that. So that's what you always have to be mindful of in these situations, is that, yes, there's one fix that makes sense for one problem, but then are you inadvertently making another one a little worse? Now, maybe last night, some of what happened defensively was just the tired legs, randomness, you can certainly mount a case that it was a fluky game. But that ties back into the overall theme, which is that there's no easy answers. Yes, there are certain adjustments you can make to fix one problem, but you always have to be mindful of the others that you possibly create with that trade-off as well. And that leads into what I consider the personnel issues. Because for the Rockets, what's interesting when you look at the Game 2 box score There are only six players who played 17 or more minutes. There are only seven players that even played above 10 minutes. I'm not going to call it a seven-man rotation because that would be implying something that Mike D'Antoni is not doing. Mike D'Antoni has had seven-man rotations in the past, including last year in the playoffs. And what happened, there was a cumulative fatigue effect with his top players. That's not what's happening. Even James Harden and Chris Paul. James Harden played 36 and a half minutes. Chris Paul played 35 and a half. Clint Capella played 31. Trevor Reza and P.J. Tucker each played 33. Eric Gordon played 34. None of these are workloads that are too high. This is not game five in San Antonio. That's because the Rockets are playing their their bench. It's just inconsistent in terms of who gets the minutes. Gerald Green played nine minutes. Ryan Anderson played seven. Nene played four. So between the three of them, that is like an eighth man to your rotation. They combine for 20 minutes. So it's not like the Rockets are overextending their big guns. And in their defense, every time the Rockets lose, we know the, play, the, the takes that are out there, playoff Harden, playoff CP3. Well, folks, that's nonsense right now. Even on a night that they weren't that hot from three, Harden and Paul combined for what, 55 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds, only four turnovers between them, two each. Clint Capella had 21 and 11 against Rudy Gobert on 10 of 15 shooting. The Rockets' big guns were fine. The issue is that the problem, or what was supposed to be a strength for the Rockets going into the playoffs, having a much deeper cast of characters than they've had in the past, is not playing out that way. And I think part of it is that no matter where you go, the Rockets have what – there's an imbalance in that the two issues that they are consistently having in this series that we let off discussing, stopping the dribble penetration and getting the three-point attempts, the depth they have on the bench, you might be able to fix one by it playing those guys, but then you're making the other worse. And so that's what – Mike D'Antoni is trying to to walk a very fine line. Now, part of it, let's be clear. If the starters open games better than they did, and the Rockets were outscored 36-28 in the first last night, if you're not playing from 10 points behind, which, as I said on last night's postgame show, has happened far too often this postseason, it's easier to have a longer leash with your bench and let guys get into rhythm. 
For example, Ryan Anderson, one of the issues with Ryan, he didn't even get to play in the playoffs until Game 3 in Minnesota because of the ankle strain he suffered early in April. And then before that, he missed several weeks with a hip flexor. So really, it's been since February since Ryan Anderson was regularly a part of the rotation. And you can see he's a little gun-shy in these playoffs. I don't think he really feels in rhythm. And it would be great if he could work his way out. But it's tough to let a guy learn on the fly to to kind of get back, work his way back into shape when you're down 10 points and you're fighting just to keep your head above water. So some of this, again, does come back to just start the games better and then maybe the bench guys that seem to be struggling a little bit can start to feel better about themselves because you're able to give them a longer leash as opposed to right now, if things go poorly and you're down 10 points and at one point midway through the second quarter, the Rockets were down 19 points, there's only so much Mike D'Antoni can do. So part of the problem is that these guys aren't in rhythm, and if the Rockets aren't finding themselves consistently down 10-plus points early in games, then maybe it's easier to get those guys feeling confident again. But ultimately, for Houston right now, Luke Bamute played 16 minutes. And defensively, he's very good. He can solve the dribble penetration problem. But the reality is that he is hurting you on the offensive end. He was a minus 10 in those 16 minutes, For the series, he's just 2 of 9 from the field, and a big part of that, his game offensively, he's an okay shooter, but what makes Luke a passable player offensively, and then combined with his defense, what makes him great overall, well, great's a stretch, but makes him a very good rotation player, let's put it that way, is that he is an excellent slasher. He can make enough threes, mid-30s percent, that you have to account for him, but where Luke really, really helps you, and especially if... You want to go small, which the Rockets had so much success against Gobert in the regular season. He's able to take the ball off the dribble and finish at the rack. That is not happening in this series. Every time he goes to the rim, watch him. He is protecting that shoulder. He does not want to take contact. And it's understandable. He's dislocated it twice. This comes with the territory. I'm not calling him out. It's just something that's a reality with a guy that has two shoulder dislocations in one year the most recent one, only three weeks removed. The shoulder is not very strong. He wants to keep playing. And defensively, I think he feels good. He is himself. But offensively, it hurts them. And so they're not able to play small as much as they would want. And that contributes to them not getting the three-point attempts. So you can, you can say fewer minutes for Luke. We want to fix the three-point problems. Okay, the two guys that can help you there are Gerald Green and Ryan Anderson. Except Gerald was a team worst, minus 11 in his nine minutes. He didn't play much in game one. You can tell they're concerned about his defensive liabilities. He's probably the worst defensive player of anyone in the playoff rotation. Played game two, and even though he made a three, the team was much worse with him on the floor, in large part because of what he was giving up defensively. With Ryan Anderson, he's a defensive liability. Maybe not quite as much as Gerald, especially if you're able to play him at the five. But ultimately, Ryan's... Whether Ryan is playable comes down to whether he's going to take and at least make some of them. Right now, he's not doing both. He got up two shots, missed them both, and ultimately, that's just not enough for the Rockets to play Ryan regularly. Now, part of it, as I said, is that Ryan missed so much time down the stretch of the year that I don't think he's really in rhythm. I don't think he's confident. And... I do think that's a fixable problem, but to do that, you need to not put yourself constantly behind the eight ball. 
And with the Rockets building these early deficits, and now with the series being 1-1 and there being such a huge sense of urgency to Game 3, it's tough to say, hey, this is the night we're going to play Ryan 20 minutes, sink or swim, and just let him start feeling good again. Because the Rockets, they need that's why you need to take care of business so that you can work on those things. And ultimately, it hasn't happened enough. The Rockets have had... Ent- while they're 5-2 and two in the playoffs, they have had entirely too many, uh, what I would call, stress minutes because of these early deficits. Even the games in which they won comfortably, think Game 2, Game 4 against Minnesota, and even Game 5, it took until the second half, and in some cases until the fourth quarter, before you truly felt like, okay, this game is over. We can experiment with some things. And for the Rockets, a 65-win team that's always been measured by the Warriors, it's not to take anything away from Minnesota or Utah, but you should have more minutes than they have had to where maybe experiment is too strong a word, but you can play your depth and let them build some confidence and to try and build those guys up so that Everybody is feeling as good about themselves as they possibly can by the Western Conference Finals, assuming the Rockets get there. Right now, the Rockets can't do that because they're just having to scrap like crazy just to get there in the first place and to beat Utah for four games. So some of this can be solved by simply starting games better, more intensity, more energy, more higher IQ plays, and ultimately, I think you can start getting more bench guys involved. But right now, it's not that Mike D'Antoni is unwilling to trust these guys. And by the way, Joe Johnson has been a non-factor. I think that just goes back to the regular season. Joe just has not been as good since coming here in February as the Rockets expected, expected him to be. And 17-year veteran, 36 years old, unfortunately, that's probably just the realities of time in the NBA. I don't suddenly expect him to become a difference maker in the playoffs. Would be happy to be wrong. But really, you looked at the Rockets going into the playoffs, and you would have thought that with a bench of Gordon, Bamute, Nene, Gerald Green, Ryan Anderson, Joe Johnson, that it could be a strength. It hasn't been. And it's been well documented that Gordon has struggled a lot himself, although with Gordon, keep in mind, he played 34 minutes last night. He did make three of his six threes. That's 50%. That's very good. And ultimately, even when he struggles, he's able to drive to the rim. He's able to command respect as a penetrator. He also has a little bit of lift, had six boards last night. So Gordon, yes, he needs to shoot better, but ultimately he's still a good enough player that he is going to play. He is not uh, the the biggest problem. Now, certainly he needs to be better, but in terms of these problems, it's more the other guys, because after the top six, your starters and Eric Gordon, I don't think there's anyone that Mike D'Antoni truly trusts. And in terms of how to fix it, it's interesting. You could, it's easy to say, pick a lane. And if you want to, stop the dribble penetration, that problem, then you play Luke Bamute more. Give him, what, 23, 24 minutes instead of 16 for Luke and 8 for Gerald Green. Just commit to better stopping the dribble penetration. Or if you want to go the other direction and say, look, we have got to get more threes, then you play guys like Gerald and Ryan and you live with the consequences of what happens defensively. In reality, Mike D'Antoni has to walk a fine line because it's not just about this series. To get where the Rockets want to go, they need to get both of these problems better in that they need to be better at stopping dribble penetration, but ultimately, to beat teams like the Warriors and whoever comes out of the East, you've also got to have your three-point bombers so that you have upside. So I think Mike is trying to walk a very fine line in that he realizes what the problems are and some of these, you know, inserting certain players may make one problem worse, 
but ultimately it's not just about this series. It's also about how do we get these guys on the bench, players really 7 through 10 in the rotation, to feel better about themselves going into later rounds than they are right now. And it's very difficult. And at some point, if the Rockets, say, go down two games to one, losing game three, Mike D'Antoni may have to just throw caution in the wind and say, you know what, we can't even think about later rounds. We've just got to survive this one, and even if it takes us six, seven games, worry about the rest when it comes. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think overall the Rockets are still the better team. But right now, I think if you're going to fix both of those problems, then the easiest way to do it is to have not as many high-stress minutes where you feel like you have got to squeeze everything out of your main six or else you're going to the game's going to you're going to lose contact and so if you start games better then maybe that's the ticket to somehow continuing to put Luke back on the floor at least defensively and give you what he can on that end while also giving a few minutes to Ryan Anderson and hoping that maybe hashtag road Rhino returns and is able to give you more from behind the arc but ultimately those are the personnel issues for the Rockets in this series the stars have been fine. I'm not going to say they've been perfect, but James Harden, Chris Paul, Clint Capella, they're doing their part. It's the supporting cast that's the issue. And you can, you know, it's easy to point in isolation and say, well, we need more defense, got to play Luke more. But then there's also the three-point problem. So that's why there's not an easy fix for the Rockets. And ultimately, a lot of that has to do with the Jazz, too. They are a very good, well-disciplined, well-coached team. And so you tip your hat to them. But for the Rockets, that's why there is a little bit of inconsistency. The Rockets are trying to work on parallel paths to fix both of these issues. And because the issues are so different from one side of the ball to the next, it takes different players of theirs, that bench group, Luke for the defense, Ryan and Gerald for the offense, to potentially fix those. And so that's why Mike D'Antoni has a very delicate job. And what it comes down to ultimately, I think, A, start better so that you have some low leverage minutes to some lower pressure situations to let those guys start to work their way back. And then secondly, as simple as it is, those guys just need to play better. Maybe Luke needs to trust the shoulder a little more and live with the results. It is the playoffs. Maybe Ryan Anderson needs to just throw caution to the wind and say, look, I've got a, I'm a shooter and I'm going to live and die with whether, whether these shots go in or out. So ultimately, Mike and Tony can push all the right buttons, but sometimes it's just going to come down to the, the guys on the floor. But ultimately, in my opinion, that's what to watch in Game 3, and that's also what's went wrong in Game 2. Now, one final point before we close out the podcast. I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter about the absence of rookie Rubio. The implication being, wow, if the Jazz were able to get this win in Houston without Rubio, what's going to happen when or if he comes back? It's not a given. It sounds like, from what I've heard, that probably Game 5 next Tuesday is about the most early reasonable return. It's possible they could throw a curveball this weekend, but I'm not really anticipating it. He might come back, and overall, he's still a quality player, but let's not make him out to be a superstar. For those of you that are regular Lockdown Rockets listeners, you probably remember I did a show last weekend with David Locke, the jazz play-by-play voice, previewing the series, and I asked him about the prognosis for Rubio. And the point he made was that while he doesn't know if Rubio is going to be able to play, and if so, how much, because of that hamstring injury, he also wasn't convinced that Rubio was a great fit for this series anyway. And that's because with the Rockets switching as much as they do, Rubio's main skill, which is how he sees the floor taking advantage of 
um, mismatches in terms of one guy shading too much to help on one area of the court, just traditional point guard skills are less important when it comes to beating the Rockets. When it comes to beating the Rockets, it's about having guys that make plays one-on-one. So the guys that are playing more in this series as a result of the Rubio injury, which would be Dante Exum and Alec Burks, they are better than Rubio at making one-on-one plays and beating their guys off the dribble, which plays into the dribble penetration issue that, that we've been discussing for a few days now. And Rubio, look, he's a quality player, and I know he had some great games against Oklahoma City, but part of it, first off, Oklahoma City is kind of the opposite of Houston. They're the team that you can take advantage of because they are so undisciplined with a traditional point guard, and then there was Russell Westbrook blowing out of proportion, the whole Westbrook-Rubio storyline. Look, for the year, Rubio's a fine player, 13 points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds per game, but let's not make him out to be something that he's not. This is a guy who's basically given away for a bag of chips, I think a conditional pick last summer by the Timberwolves when they went after Jeff Teague. It's not like the return of Ricky Rubio, if it happens, is going to change what's happening. If anything, it might make them worse, which I think is why the, the Jazz are going to be very cautious. Now, I'm not saying that Rubio is a bad player. What I'm saying is if you bring Rubio back below 100%, it might make them worse because the athleticism, the explosion from guys like Alec Burks, Dante Exum, that's something that Ricky Rubio does not have. And when you switch as much as the Rockets do, and it makes it kind of a one-on-one isolation game, you need that quickness. You need that explosion. So I guess the silver lining is that I don't think it's going to get worse if Rubio comes back in this series. That's a narrative I'm saying, look at what the Jazz are doing without Rubio. I don't necessarily buy it. I'm with David. After watching this on the floor for two games, I don't think he's a great matchup for the Rockets period, uh, for the Jazz that is playing the Rockets, based on his limitations. So I don't see the Jazz having that much more upside if they do get Ricky Rubio back. That angle, in my opinion, is overplayed. Because what the Jazz are having success with offensively on the perimeter is making these one-on-one plays where the guy in the the perimeter just cannot stay in front of Dante Exum, Alec Burks, and then it collapses the defense. Now you can handle a little smarter and not double off of Joe Ingles. But there's always going to be somebody open. If you don't double, they're going to have a lane right to the bucket. So ultimately, the Jazz, they're succeeding in this because of the athleticism. And so Ricky Rubio, I don't think the Jazz have an ace in the hole, so to speak, that they can just bring out at any time. And all of a sudden, that's going to be the KO. I think that angle is overblown. But while that's the positive, the negative is that while it's not going to get worse... Well, it also doesn't mean it's going to get better for the Rockets. They've got to make adjustments to stop the dribble penetration issues with the guys that are out there right now, which start with Alec Burks and, uh, well, Dante Exum, but even Jay Crowder off P.J. Tucker had surprising success last night. Jay Crowder taking the ball right to the rim on a few occasions. So some of it can be fixed by playing harder. For example, I thought the Rockets were at their worst in, I would say, the first 18 minutes of the game when, for whatever reason, they just came out flat overall. And... The final 12 minutes, when I think there were just some fatigue issues from having to expend so much energy as a result of building that 19-point deficit. So some of it, if the Rockets are more engaged from the tip and they don't have to you know, hit that turbo-nuclear button, so to speak, in the middle of a game, then ultimately they'll have more energy. That should help. So that's part of solving it. other part, of course, is trying to find the right rotation mix. And you know, do you play Luke Bamute more? But if you do, then there's a hit to your offense. And so that's kind of the fine line that Mike D'Antoni is going to walk as this series goes back to Utah. And ultimately for the Rockets, I think it starts with just controlling what you can control, which it all goes back, in my opinion, 
to those starts. And also, some of it, you know, the players need to play harder. Let's make clear, the coaches need to coach better as well. Mike D'Antoni, Jeff Bezdelic, I think the Rockets looked a little slower early in that game. Maybe a lot of it's the effort, but some of it, too, is that they seem kind of befuddled by... Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim a lot harder than they did in game one. So we can say that the players need to play harder, and I think there's some truth in that. But, you know, the coaches need to coach better, too. You lose a game like that, you go down 19 early. It's not just the players. It's not just the coaches. It's a combination of everything. And overall, the Rockets need to play better, and they need to, because of the uh, consequences of going down 2-1, they need to play game three Friday like it's an elimination game, the good news is that based on the Rockets' track record this year, 5-2 and two in the playoffs, 65-17 and 17 in the regular season, I'm pretty confident that they will do just that. Anyway, uh, for now, though, I think that's enough talk for today. That's the main angles I wanted to hit. We discussed some of them on Thursday's uh, or Wednesday's post-game show, but it was more in the context of just Game 2. For this one, with Game 3 looming Friday night, wanted to spend it a little bigger picture in terms of what the Rockets can do in terms of the X's and O's rotation, the players they deploy to kind of give you a little better preview for what I think Mike D'Antoni is going to be considering in the hours before Friday night's Game 3. So until Game 3, I will sign off. If you want more content from me in the uh, interim, you can find it on Twitter. I'm at Ben Dubose. The show is at Lockdown Rockets. Also, got an email address, Rockets at gmail.com. If you've got questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries to reach our great audience during this playoff run, that's the best way to get in contact with me. And if you want more content and Sources besides Twitter, we've got a Facebook at facebook.com slash Rockets and a website at LockedOnRockets.com. All great places you can find our daily content as uh, the only daily podcast covering the 65 and 17 Houston Rockets. I guess maybe we should call them, what, 70 and 19 since add the regular season and the playoffs together. Either way, though, that record, uh, it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot right now. The Rockets just got to find a way to get three more wins against Utah to get through this round, and that starts Friday night in Salt Lake City. So until then, uh, as always, I appreciate you guys for listening to me here at Locked on Rockets, and we'll be talking again shortly after Friday night's Game 3 when the Rockets take on the Jazz in a pivotal third game at Salt Lake City.